BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I am unwilling to give up. That I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I am so excited to have my next guest here. We have Adam Ross, who is the co-founder and CEO of Heyday, and he is an incredible, incredible entrepreneur. We'll talk a little bit more about his experience. But Heyday, for those of you who are not familiar, is the leading skincare services brand that offers terrific, quick, 50-minute personalized facials. And I can say that I have been there and uh, have enjoyed in the Tribeca location an awesome, awesome experience. They also have incredible, very progressive products in the store too. So all of the in the know products that you definitely need to know about are in the location. And in 2015, Ross launched the first shop in Manhattan's NoHo neighborhood. And it's now the fastest growing skincare services brand in the US with over 10 company owned. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the bustling franchise plan coming to go across the country as well. But with spa industry revenue returning to near pre-pandemic levels, Heyday is sure to benefit from the consumer desire to take better care of themselves, not only on the inside, but on the outside. And more than anything, I can't wait to hear about Adam's journey on how he got to growing such an incredible, incredible brand. So welcome. Thank you, Kara. Excited to be here. Very excited to have you. So I would love to hear your backstory. Uh, Did you always think that you were going to be an entrepreneur? I think at the risk of dating myself, Kara, it may have become apparent when I First watched uh, Pretty Woman when I was probably eight or nine years old and wanted to be <laughs> wanted to be Edward Lewis. So <laughs> how's that for an opening? Oh, I love it. I love it. And did you? What drove you into the skincare area? Yeah, I did. So I, I think after undergrad, I ended up going into investment banking, and I focused on mergers and acquisitions for almost twelve years. And my focus within that was companies within the consumer products and retail sectors. And I literally, I did one and a half years current in Australia, and then they, they transitioned me to, um, you know, to New York. And I think over time, and as you get a little more senior, you end up specializing. So I ended up focusing within beauty, I guess, as a, as a category within, within consumer products and retail. So ended up doing a lot of work with the likes of Revlon, Avon, you know, Gillette, P&G, uh, Lord, L'Oreal and whatnot. So Great foundation, I think great experience into 
what the big companies were doing from a from a product perspective. But I think that's where the the, the light bulb moments that you know came to be on. Um, there seems to be a very big disconnect between what companies are doing and pushing from a from a product and service perspective and what it is that the customer actually wants. So I think while banking was a foundation for me that was incredible and, and the right stepping stone, I think, you know, I wanted to sit on the other side of the table and roll up the sleeves and be involved in, you know, building building a brand and a business that delights and engages the customer. So you had obviously worked with these big brands and you're really a service business. Is that how you would describe yourself mostly at Heyday? Absolutely. I, I think it was, I think when I looked at the skincare category and it, it still exists a lot to this very day, it's, it's, it's almost got three very disconnected legs to the stool. You've got, you've got spa services, um, you've got, you've got retail locations and they're generally like big box stores, like the Ulta's, the, you know, the Sephora's. And then you've got a lot of these brands that just sell products online. Um, you know, the latter two are, you know, thousands and thousands of products and it can be quite a, an overwhelming and confusing experience for people. Knowing that the facial is like the gold standard of a great skincare routine, we made the strategic decision to start with with a physical service and a physical experience, knowing that if you can ground the brand in like the expertise and the service, that is such a core part of the routine. And, and when you're, you know, you've got somebody in the treatment chair, as you can relate to for 50 minutes, and you can touch and you can feel and understand their skin, it puts the esthetician in a really strong position to ultimately recommend what products are right for that person for that routine that they're going to like apply to their skin, you know, every day for the next month or so until they come back and see us again. So I um, can appreciate that a lot of products you can buy in different places, but because very few customers know what their skin type and conditions are, what works for you may not necessarily work for the other person. So you know, we don't just personalize the facial, but we personalize the products that go into what that routine should be until they come back again. And that's the, that's the 360 experience we're looking to create here. And BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Pants Cast, brought to you by Lululemon, a show about all things pants. My guest is Matt James, former NCAA player and Lululemon ABC pant enthusiast. Hi, great to be here. Matt, tell us all about those ABC pants. The comfort? They're like the pants I put on when I don't want to wear pants. Versatility? You could wear these pants to a wedding, but you could also wear these to a cookout. And what about style? They're like if casual and cool had a baby. Well, it's clear why you're an ABC enthusiast. Pleasure having you and your pants on the show. Thanks for having us. Find the shockingly comfortable ABC pants at lululemon.com. I love the products that you carry too, because they're not products that you typically see. So they're, you know, progressive, but they're actually very boutique-y. And obviously many of these brands probably don't have a services business that they can actually showcase how their brand works. No, it's, it's such a great point. And, and for us, we've got a, a pretty rigorous process in terms of onboarding new brands and products. And it, it certainly helps when we've got hundreds of estheticians. So we get their, their input as well. But what we try and do is, is have much more of a curated assortment 
um, and making sure that at every sort of category of of skincare, we've got the right the right variety that can address skin type concern and price point. But um, I think we're in a very privileged position to be working with some some fantastic brands, and I think the ability to offer some exclusives and, and products that we can get before others, um, you know, is all an important part of brand discovery and you know giving giving our clients a reason to come back and see us. So you were on the investment banking side, as you mentioned before, and uh, watched a lot of other people build brands. What do you think is the toughest thing that you've realized in building your own brand that maybe it's not as easy as it seemed? I think if you ask any entrepreneur, if you knew today what you knew, totally, you knew five years ago what you knew today, would you would you do it again? <laughs> I would say, you know, and this isn't a heyday specific point. I think for a lot of us, but. I look back and I think where we're in an incredible time and place today is that the, 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 the client wants to give us feedback and they want to give brands that they engage with feedback on how they can improve, what they should stop doing, what they can doing. And, I, you know, if I look back and critique, you know, how I've operated in the past, I think one, one area would be I'd hate to think of the, the, the countless number of hours I've wasted sitting around the boardroom table arguing about what it is we think the customer wants got to test it. So it doesn't matter what you think mm-hmm. or what I think. It's like what's going to resonate with the market and, and resonate with our clients. So, you know, we've we've adopted a much more agile framework around where we can test and learn, whether it's new products, whether it's new services, and get this feedback. And you've got you've got a number of hypotheses where you think something's going to work and it does. Great. There's others though where mm-hmm. you don't think they're going or oh, you think they're going to work and they don't, that's also great. And and so you stop doing it and then move on to something that, that can that, that then will. Um, but there's been a few little like insights and surprises that we've gotten that not in a hundred years would we have thought of sitting around the boardroom table. And those those little nuggets are, are really profound and little things can go a long way, you know, around elevating the experience, elevating the service. And, and again, it all comes back to delivering on what the the client needs because the bar for how brands need to execute today has never been never been higher. What what's one example where you were surprised if you remember over the last couple of years? Let me let me give an example that informed this because again, I think I can I can I could give you so many examples, Cara, um, and a lot of our team and a lot of our backgrounds, we're all A plus personalities and we there's a general tendency with like schools or other jobs or wherever we've been in our backgrounds to overcomplicate and to overanalyze a lot of things. And I remember actually reading a piece and it, it, it was an, it was a light bulb for me, but it goes back to where Nokia had um, this like leading market share in mobile phones, you know, back in the, back in the late nineties. And then other, other entrants were, were coming in and, and eroding their market share and they weren't sure what to do. And they were like over specking and over, over-engineering a lot of things, then they went out and did some research in the field and the feedback from the customer was, we just want different colored phones. Mm-hmm. So they brought out reds and pinks and yellows and right, that took them to a whole new level. So, you know, with 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 Heyday, that was a great reframe and I'd shared this story with the team around, okay, let's look at all, all ends of the customer experience. And, you know, for us, there were just like little little hospitality moments around the around the water, around like the mobile phone charge, around a little something that could like clean the mobile phone. So there were some things that were actually quite ancillary to the service itself, but it just, it rounded out the experience. So 
you know, in some cases, you know, and I generally look at things through a through like an effort impact matrix around prioritizing the team's work and what we choose to do. And there can be a lot of default behavior that goes to if something's going to be high impact on a business, it's going to be high effort. And in some cases, like the golden the golden outcome is where you can get to high impact with like low to minimal effort. So yeah. um, you know, how we've introduced a couple of new services that again didn't seem as as necessarily shiny or sexy to us, but it was what the customer wanted, you know, quick, easy wins. So I think it's always it's always humbling to to do what you can to understand where is the customer coming from and how do I anticipate not just delivering on their needs next week, but what are they going to be wanting next month? Yeah, I think that that's, that is totally true. I, I, it's funny in my previous life and in tech working at America online, we used to do lots and lots of, uh, of focus groups. And I got so tired of doing focus groups because I didn't really feel like it got me close enough to the consumer, even though there were people that were picked, uh, that were consumers and, so our whole theory at the company I founded, Hint, was just to get it out there in the marketplace and see exactly what consumers say. And we've done that over and over again for labels, for design, yeah. for flavors, and and just trying to figure out exactly, you know, what they're thinking. So I love, you know, that example, definitely, how you've been thinking about this too. So when you're creating a brand, you had your first store in NoHo. So Mm -hmm. you're hanging a shingle, heyday. What are the things that you worry about first when creating a brand? You're this is your first brand that you're getting out there, and and uh, like, what do you worry about? Oh my gosh, how much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) What was really interesting around heyday, Cara, was. And just came from a lot of the the categories and, and sectors that I looked at in my banking days, but but spa services was one of those categories that I'd never seen a category that was so fragmented, that was operating to a very outdated playbook, and um, again like really unsophisticated in in the bar and what they were delivering on with customers. And as we as we broke it down, there was this huge bifurcation between the the, the spas at the higher end, and you know mm-hmm. the, a lot of higher end fixtures, amenities, fittings that went into the the steam rooms, the showers, the, you know, the the hot hot teas and lemon waters and things that went into the experience. And then there was cheap, but sort of cheap in a bad way. And there was absolutely nothing in between. And I think as we peeled back the the, the onion, there was there was a huge opportunity to say there can be a trade-off in price without a trade-off in quality. And I think if I look at a North Star brand that did that so incredibly well, it was like Warby Parker. So that's where there's a lot of mm-hmm. lot of analogies to, to our brand where they said, hey, eyewear is just such a structurally challenged category. There is no reason why designer frames should be $400. They can be $95 and we can bring it to life with right a great, a great physical experience, a great brand and this holistic um, this holistic um, exchange with the with the brand. So you know with Heyday, that was always the the proposition. I think one of the bigger questions we had was why hasn't this been done before? Because the industry seems so, so challenged and it seemed quite obvious to us Um, because, again, when you look at what goes into a facial and for us when you you take the facial out of the spa and you reposition it in 
you know, a footprint that's half the size of the traditional spa that, that a heyday is, you know, design inspired, gender neutral, very, very, very different. Um, you take so many fixed costs out of the business. So you're not, you're not required to charge these, these high prices. Um, so that was a big one, uh, which was what are we missing that may not set this business up for success and why hasn't it been done before? I think the second big one is who is our core customer? And mm-hmm. are we are we out to take market share from incumbents or are we out to grow the market share through through clients that have never had a facial before? And the intent was to actually try and do try and do both. Um, you know, if we had to pick a lane, it would have, would have initially been those that had had the odd facial before, but they couldn't engage it with it frequently because, like time cost and, bar- and sorry, time cost and convenience were these three barriers that were these huge friction points getting in the way of regular engagement. So, um, I think that coupled with the, the the fact that you know skincare is self care, and that's how we were positioning our brand. I mean, it's why we're called Heyday. You know, this sort of mm-hmm. throwback term to being in your prime, being in your best, being your best version of yourself. So I think we wanted to anchor away from beauty and pampering and indulgence and reposition with, with you know, self-care and, and sort of a low-usage customer that would change into a higher-frequency customer. And all of that just plays in a getting product market fit right that then lets you scale, scale the opportunity across, across the country. So how many stores do you have now? So we have 22 locations today. Um, we've got a, a pretty audacious plan of record this year. So if we're speaking um, at, a, at a cocktail reception end of the year, we should be close to 50. Oh, that's amazing. That's Yeah, no, very, very exciting, very, very sort of banner, banner year for the brand as we look to cement national, national brand status. It's funny, we had a... Candace, who is the founder of Sprinkles Cupcakes on, and she was talking about how she, that was a great podcast. You should definitely listen uh, when they launched in Arizona and how, you know, she was very confident. They were, they had already done the cupcake machine in in uh, yeah. New York. I mean, they're doing great. And then suddenly they got to Arizona. They were telling everybody to leave the cupcakes out and she didn't realize that cupcakes melt um, under heat, <laughs> so extreme heat. Um, and so, you know, she said that she learned the hard way. They had to develop a whole new packaging. I mean, it's just, it's what you learn as an entrepreneur. Maybe you never even heard those stories in your M&A and, and banking years, but I'm so curious, like, have you had any crazy stories Crazy founder stories, I call them, that are you just can't make this up, right? You're not, you're not really even, you're not even sure who to tell because <laughs> they're they're so nuts. Um, or maybe you know, also what you've learned about people's skin. I would imagine, you know, in different parts of the U.S., like it's there's a lot, there's many different needs too. And it's, it's such a great point around a Candace and I think for a lot of brands as we're thinking around national expansion, it's it's not a productive use of time to perfect the model in one state when you're then going to take it to another state. So it's always what's the 80 for mm-hmm. 20, knowing that I'm going to see some things that I'm going to need to like adapt and be flexible to. So for Heyday, it's, it's I think what we've seen is the biggest difference between 
you know, California and New York, for example, is obviously just where there's um, there's time of year differences around, you know, around sort of dryness and and whatnot. So, you know, skin goes on different ver- on different, I'd say, journeys. Um, you know, New York, there's there's a huge trend to sort of exfoliation and things come the end of the summer. You know, in September, you know, we don't really see that until until December in Los Angeles. So there's some there's some time of year differences, but and I was speaking to a friend of mine and she has a nail business and what surprised me was women in New York, New York like to get manicures and pedicures done separately, but in Los Angeles they like to get them done together. We don't have anything like that in our business. Um, so there hasn't been any, I think, fundamental shift in, in customer behaviour uh, we are very data driven, so around you know product price points, subcategories, you know you can see little nuances, and that helps us adjust what we stock at the front of of each location. But in some cases, there's nuances generally, or again, we've got time of year differences, or, and that's got implications for certain categories like oils or moisturisers or sunscreens. So, um, I'd like to say, fortunately, we're quite uneventful relative to what some other brands probably go to. Um, just knowing that that service and people are, are sort of our main main ingredients. I love that you guys have later hours uh, too, because I think for some reason that trend of you know closing at six o'clock has uh, has for the spa industry across the U.S. Maybe in New York it's been later, but I feel like across the U.S. it's been you know shut down earlier when I think most of the people who are working during the day would actually love to come in more in the evening. No, it's such a fantastic point. Um, like I said, back in the initial research when we were forming the concept and what we wanted to address, time, cost, and convenience with these these friction points that kept coming up. And uh, when we actually opened the first location, we were open 7 in the morning to 10 at night, actually all the mm-hmm. way through to, um, you know, COVID. I'll tell you, Cara, like the busiest hours in our business were 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. I I totally believe it. So it's, um, I mean, that's what I've, I've seen over and over again. And sadly, I think there's parts of the U.S. that just have not um, sort of jumped into that. And I think there's definitely consumers there that would love it. And you guys will do super, super well. Also, you and I were touching on this a bit, but the franchise model, I'm fascinated by it. I can't say I know a ton about franchising. Why did you guys decide to start in that direction? Yeah, um, we we made the strategic decision to franchise back in 2019. And I think one of the one of the big reasons in forming that decision, Carol, was the fact that we're such a incredibly heavy labor-centric business model. So any any one location on average probably has... 25 to 30 estheticians. We then got a shop manager. We've got front desk hosts. We've got you know got a laundry laundry attendant. So very very labor heavy. And I think we've worked so hard to create the right sort of experience that we want our, our clients to have with with our ten owned and operated doors. So the thinking behind that was we just we wanted partners that had skin in the game to you know uphold and enhance the experience that we worked so hard to. Um, you know, to create, and that was going to create a more consistent and better client experience across the country. Um, as we did more research into the right businesses that had franchised well, it was interesting if you look across all the metrics that 
um, franchise doors generally outperformed their own and operated counterparts on. So it wasn't just, you know, more top line revenue, it was more top line returning revenue. It was higher client satisfaction, it was lower team turnover. So it, it didn't really matter what metric you looked at. The franchise locations generally checked the box and, and outperform company owned and operated doors. So for us, it just felt like a really great division of labor because there's so many talented owner operators out there across the US. It's like, let's set them up with a playbook that they can execute better than we can. And then it frees up resources, you know, within the heyday side to lean in more on service innovation, on product innovation, uh, you know, other things that elevate the brand and the, um, you know, the overall customer experience. So, um, you know, for us, we've spent the last, you know, the last couple of years really building that foundation. I, I think that one of the, the silver linings of franchising as well is you can't scale exceptions. So it just forces you to be really, really honed in and clear on like your SOPs, where we simplify, where we codify in a way that it's very easy to to explain and have partners adopt. So, um, you know, last year was a was it was a really important year for us where we opened twelve franchise locations. Uh, like I said, the number will be closer to 30, 30 this year. Um, so I'd say still getting our sea legs on how we, you know, how we open and, and set our partners up for success. But um, I think couldn't be more energized to uh, to grow and feel that's really going to drive a much better experience and engagement. Um, you know, across all locations. I was saying to another entrepreneur yesterday, I feel like being an entrepreneur and being a founder, it's uh, maybe I've been listening to too many uh, conversations about chat, the the whole chat GTP stuff, but it's like, I feel like, you know, you have to accept uh, that you're living an algorithm, right? That you're just adding on yeah. and adding on and getting better and making mistakes. And then you turn left to, if you were going right, you know, it's this con and you have to be energized by that or you shouldn't do this. You should stick with investment banking or do something else because it's, it's crazy. And I've certainly got my own share of, of, uh, stories and failures along the way. But I'm curious, what do you think, knowing that you've been on sort of both sides of the table, the, the big characteristics of entrepreneurs um, that you have to, uh, in order to get up every day and do it all over again? Ooh, I think, I mean, entrepreneurs generally start businesses because they're dissatisfied with the status quo. So I'd say generally like any mm -hmm. great business will come with, you know, if you ask the question, why did you do this? Their answer is like, this is something that should exist. So they want to make something better. So I think there's there's an inherent growth mindset and intellectual curiosity around entrepreneurs and how you keep showing up and how you keep raising the bar and doing doing better. I, I think where I've tried to, to lean in, Karen, do a better job is where you learn quickly um, or fail quickly and not that I actually necessarily like the term fail. I think it's just like where you learn. If we, if, if as a business you're going to try something that isn't going to work, how can you do it where you can know that in two or three weeks versus two or three months? Because I think success is different problems. And the faster you move through one problem <laughs> and onto the next one and celebrate the velocity with which you move through that, I think, I think the better. So um, I think with – I was speaking to somebody else about this the other week – I think there's this perception that entrepreneurs are 
inherent risk takers or mavericks and throw caution in the wind. I've actually found entrepreneurs to be the exact opposite. They're actually very risk averse. So the question is, how can you de-risk every every innovation or every step of the process until you know something's there and then you can really lean in, put the put the investment or the team resources, whatever it is behind it to to really let it let it grow and accelerate. So I again when I critique my own performance, it's where there's been misses that it took me six months to to learn versus, hey, if I'd thought about this a little differently, I could have known about that five months ago that would have let us then move on to something else. And um, I think success with with not just our business, but with any entrepreneur or, or businesses today is where is there that scorecard that you can always look at and report back to the team or you report back to the board? You know, here are the 10 things we tried and it's okay if like six or seven of them are, you know, totally. big nothing burgers or donuts. Like the, the one or two or three things that work when they work, they're going to be profound. And then it's how you keep like moving through that. And, you know, the agility that goes into those learnings, I think is what, What's ultimately going to drive the competitive advantage that all of us are seeking to to, to establish and create? Yeah, definitely. I uh, always think about these challenging periods of time. Uh, obviously, the pandemic is uh, you know hopefully behind us. We all learn lessons uh, for sure. But I I always tell entrepreneurs that it's like a badge that you've been through it, or at least uh, been through a really challenging time, I think, where not everybody was prepared as much as maybe they thought, um, because it was certainly unique. And for your business, the services business in multiple states, too, you had to deal with a lot of different um, opinions about, you know, how and whether or not they should even be open. Um, so what was kind of the big learning for you, the big takeaway that you'll add to your journey as you're sort of thinking about your business in order to be as ready as possible? I think for us, it was, I'd say it was agility. I and mean, we're in a business that was obviously incredibly impacted. And mm-hmm. I mean, our retail locations as a, as a reference point, Cara, were closed anywhere from seven to 16 months. So we essentially closed and had to like reopen a business from, you know, from scratch. Um, so I think there's there's decisiveness and intentionality around decision-making. And then again, how you set yourself up as we've been touching on to to test and learn and keep delivering on what it is that like the, the customer or what the team actually wants. And again, I think we've got a brand at Heyday that can be spoiled for choice and, You've always got to like rein things back through the through the alignment of priorities around doing fewer things better. So I'm all around a report card that is three A's versus versus six C's, which is this inherent tension because as an entrepreneur, you always want to say like next, yes, let's do that, yes, yes, yes. And I mean, I mean, Steve Steve Jobs, he had this wonderful quote that I'm I'm going to butcher here a little bit, but you know, it was along the lines that strategy and and, and innovation. You know, he's also saying no to no to a hundred things. Mm-hmm. So I think where you, you know, for us, we've been a lot more focused and streamlined on and clarity on North Star and just like doing a few things well, where we sort mm-hmm. of test and learn our way to to keep improving on that. And I think the clarity that comes with those milestones and like the learnings along the way, these are all like the precious moments that you celebrate with the team as well. You know, it gives it gives gratitude. 
recognition and you know keeps us keeps us all moving forward and you know inspired about the you know about the broader mission i love that yeah and i think that there's uh there's definitely there are things that are beyond our control um so i think there's uh you know certainly for for me as an entrepreneur, that's what I've seen, that there are certain things. Um, maybe a customer decides that you're not going to work with them anymore, or you're, uh, you know, you hit the pandemic or um, something happens where I think you just have to figure out what can you do. And that's the best entrepreneurs, um, you know, question that they throw out there. And Steve, who uh, I'm such a huge admirer um, and, mm. uh, worked for a startup that was one of his ideas that was spun out of Apple in the nineties. Um, so there was a lot of, um, his thinking, um, just from people, I didn't work directly for Steve, but, um, people who had worked, uh, with him. And Mm. I think listening to the customer, making it simple, there's so many things that I see and what you guys are doing and how you're getting the brand out there that is very much, um, similar. Uh, to kind of that thinking as well. Well, last question. So life lesson that you've learned along the way. Communication. And I, I say that in terms of, again, with, 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 with work, it's, it's, it's easier, but I, I'd say I used to have like one or two communication or like leadership styles with, with my team and you need to be far more adaptive and meet people where they are. And that requires a whole different toolbox of, of tools of communication, but I think as that parlays into, you know, personal life and, you know, family and friends and partners and relationships as well, I think there's, and I think work just in terms of exposure to so many incredible people has actually really empowered me to, you know, show up and I think be far more communicative and transparent about, you know, what's, what's up here in my mind versus what I, what I then communicate. So probably like a, a stranger answer that you may be used to, but, um, no, I, no, I love yeah. that. Yeah. And I think it's really looking, uh, deep inside yourself, right. To, to know that you need to be responsible for that, because I think that that is, uh, that's not one that we hear many leaders talk about, but I think it is really a key key one for sure. So, well, thank you so much, Adam. This has been no, amazing. You, You've done an incredible job of building Heyday. And I encourage everybody to find a Heyday uh, by you, H-E-Y-D-A-Y. And uh, definitely check out all the great products that they carry in the stores too. But thanks again, Adam. Thanks, Kara. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks everyone for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023 and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. 
People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.